This episode of The Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to The Ready Room, show number 154, Spock and Redacted, A Love Story. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is John Mills. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news and topics, including Mirror Universe episodes, pilots and title sequences, and we remember Arlene Martell. Then in the feature, we're joined by Drew Stewart and Jamie Sanchez to discuss the original series episode, The Enterprise Incident. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, John. Welcome back to the ready room. It's great to have you here co-hosting with me this week as we talk about the original series. And I haven't talked to you. It's been a couple of weeks. You've been away. Have you been on a mission to steal a cloaking device? I have, actually. Uh, It was a rather successful mission where uh, instead of having two officers, I played both roles. And it was a lot of madcap hijinks (laughs) as I continually took my ears on and off. Well, I, sometimes it works better that way, right? Because you are in complete control of the outcome. And we all know I like to be in complete control. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're here with me today. And, you know, the first thing that we have to talk about today is very sad news. By the mm. time listeners hear this show, a couple of weeks will have already passed because we record the show about 10 days before it actually drops. And so. As you're listening to this, about two weeks ago, we lost a member of the Star Trek family, and this is actress Arlene Martell, who played T'Pring in the original series episode, A Mock Time. It's, it's been a little while, John, actually, where we haven't lost anyone in a little while. We started out this mm-hmm. year where every episode of The Ready Room for about a month was us remembering actors or composers or different people, you know, who passed away. And now, off the heels of Robin Williams passing as well, we find out that Arlene Martell passed. And she was still quite young, actually, 78 years old. Yeah. Any any age is really too soon, honestly. Um, and it is sad news. Uh, especially because the, the role she played, you know, it, it, it very much speaks to the impact that any role can have um you know because there's that saying in acting circles of there are no small parts only small actors Mm -hmm. and so this is a part that very easily could be from the outside looked at as 
a dismissive part as, oh, well, you know, it was a small bit role. But, you know, she, like so many uh, actors and actresses who appeared on Star Trek, really brought a uh, believability, a uh, gravitas to the role that sold the role, that made the episode memorable. Because since she played it so well and she made us want to believe what was happening, despite the limitation of the sets and the special effects and all of those sorts of things, we believed her, so we believed the episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very well said, yeah. And for me, with the original series, T'Pring is one of the most memorable characters who is not one of our main cast members just as A Mock Time is one of the most memorable episodes, and and maybe it is for all the reasons that you just outlined, but sometimes when you hear that a Star Trek actor passed away and it's someone who was only in one episode, you have to think for a moment and you think, oh yes, okay, I remember that character. But that wasn't the case here. This was as soon as I heard it. And and I actually heard about it while recording an episode of Continuing Mission, We recorded first thing in the morning here in Tokyo, and I had not looked at any news yet for the day, and this had happened while I was asleep. And my guest, Michael Liebman, who's a voice actor who does a lot of Star Trek audio dramas, told me about it. And so I was really surprised Mm -hmm. right there on the air to hear about it, but uh, very, very sad. Yeah, I mean, it is sad. And she, you know, while while she brought all of that to this one role she did have a you know she had a, a good career you know a long career a lot of different appearances in episode, in shows that we you know whether th- whether somebody's listening to this that grew up in the 60s or somebody watched the reruns while they were mm-hmm. a latchkey kid mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anything like that you know there there were a lot of shows that she was on yeah. that are really like benchmark shows shows you think of as the cream of the crop from the same time period that star trek was on oh definitely and in fact see i watched a lot of these shows so the twilight zone gunslinger mm-hmm. the untouchables the man from uncle i dream of jenny perry mason the wild wild west mission impossible hogan's heroes bewitched just to name a few that she was on i watched a lot of these shows when i was a kid because i grew up in the 70s And especially when I was at my grandparents' house, because they were actually watching these shows as well. But I was very young then. And so I know, I'm certain that I saw Arlene Martell in many of these shows. But Mm -hmm. I don't remember her role now because I haven't gone back and watched them. But she was a very prominent actress on on so many shows they're uh, starting her career in the late 50s and, of course, through the 60s and 70s and onward. Yeah, and it's um, I really think, honestly, that uh, actresses and actors like this are, are really they should be the ones that are highlighted. And they have the they have shows like um, Inside the Actor's Studio where you see the really mm. famous actors. Yeah. I would really rather see somebody like her talk about the craft yeah because she's given no background she's given you know either an episode or a side and here make this work mm-hmm. and this is going to be the episode for the week there's no there's no real rehearsal time there's no run-up this is somebody who was doing this for the love of the game yeah for lack of a better phrase and really should be saluted for that mm-hmm. and you know very thankful that 
you know, could anybody else have played this role? I mean, you know, it's impossible to say, but because she played it, like you said, this is, you know, wow. I I remember this episode and I remember her, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, this this is even this is even one of those uh penultimate Star Trek original series episodes that everybody refers to for the fight and the music and the drama in it. This is one of those ones that that's a landmark Star Trek episode. Yeah. And so she is a real a real part of, you know, a, a, a linchpin of the cultural heritage of Star Trek. Absolutely. So her last Star Trek appearance was in Of Gods and Men, which is an independent production. One of the earlier ones, you know, there's so many these days, which many Star Trek fans will recognize by name. So she was still involved Mm -hmm. in Star Trek in some capacity all the way up until then. So she will be very missed. Remember her by watching Amok Time, if you haven't already done so. And, you know, I'm going to keep my eye open for her in many of these other shows as I go back and watch some episodes of those. And let us know what you remember about Arlene Martell. You can talk to us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM or on Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. Or send us a message, trek.fm slash contact is our form there. And we would love to hear from you and what you remember about her performances. And we'll put a link to a few articles in the show notes. And you can go over and read more about her there as well. Well, sticking with the original series, John, we've been doing this on the Ready Room each of the past few weeks, talking about some of the polls on StarTrek.com. And Mm -hmm. the latest poll, at least as we're recording this, asked, what was your favorite Mirror Universe episode? They got more than 12,000 votes. And I don't think anyone will dispute the winner with 39% Mirror Mirror. It gets more interesting as you go down from there. So let's run down the results first. Tell everyone who finished where. Well, uh, in you know, in Mirror Mirror's first place with thirty nine percent, but in a Mirror Darkly, got twenty eight percent, which is yay, Enterprise. All right, yeah, man, come coming in strong. That is, you know, when you really think about it, that is a testament to maybe some of the respect that enterprise is getting in retrospect maybe uh as opposed to what it got in its first airing uh third place is through the looking glass with 14 percent you have the emperor's new cloak with six percent and then crossover shattered mirror and resurrection split it up with five four and four mm-hmm. so i i gotta be honest i was I was pleasantly surprised to see in a mirror darkly with such a strong representation because you know, personally, I'm a big fan of it, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it's really that that was really a stride episode for for Enterprise. And on top of that, for it to finish with 28, percent you would think Mirror Mirror, with how, I mean, you know, the the, the whole goatee thing, like uh-huh. <laughs> that's a joke that's referred to culturally for all time. Whenever somebody turns evil, right. it's like that's how you delineate. Well, I have my avatar where I have a goatee on one of my avatars. Uh, yeah. Because I, I actually normally do have one uh, these days in real yeah. life. But my avatars, most of them don't. But when I switch that avatar, I will always get a tweet from someone who says, is this evil, Chris? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But for 39%, that's that's still a, a really respectable plurality there. But 28% for Intermirror Darkly, that's... That's pretty surprising. It's surprising. And 
Those who listen to the network regularly and for a long time have heard me talk about this episode or two-parter. I I generally consider two-parters one episode unless there's a reason why they're really split up. So this episode for me is sort of a sticking point with Enterprise that I, when I see polls or lists or whatever is written about Enterprise, this episode is more often than not the episode listed as the best episode of Enterprise. And it Mm. bugs me because I think that this episode does not represent Enterprise very much at all. And what I'm what I wonder here is is this the episode of Enterprise that fans who don't actually like Enterprise have seen because it's the Mirror Universe episode and because it has the TOS threads and they like it because it feels like TOS whereas the rest of Enterprise doesn't. And so they know this episode and the the DS9 take on the Mirror Universe is different than Mirror Mirror and Inner Mirror Darkly. So it doesn't surprise me that those episodes would come in below these two. I would have been very surprised if any of the DS9 episodes came in above Inner Mirror Darkly. Interesting. See, for me, I I agree with you. Inner Mirror Darkly is not the best effort that Enterprise put forward. Um, Having gone back and rewatched most of the series, um, I respect it a lot more than I, I did at the time. Like I, I get it now, and I've I've even headcanon retconned it a little bit to flow better uh, mm-hmm. with with general overall storylines. Okay. But in a mirror darkly, I think was an episode that's easy to latch onto with Enterprise because yes, there was very much a sense of fun uh-huh. about it. Like I had a lot of fun watching that episode, those episodes. Because of the fact, like in a mirror, like I knew, mirror, be, knowing it's mirror universe, yeah, that's the cell. Yeah, you know, okay, fine, I, I'm showing up and I'm watching it live. But it really felt like it had a sense of fun about mm-hmm. it. There wasn't anything too serious, and I think that helps the esteem with it. Yeah, I don't think that it's just because it's the one that that people have seen, and they didn't like Enterprise overall. I think this is the one where people like it because it had that sense of frivolity is not the right word definitely not the right word but it had that sense of careless abandon yeah where they stopped trying to make it fit with everything and they just said let's just have a blast well that's exactly and and that it's actually one of the reasons that i'm not as fond of it is that i feel like it's two hours of the writers and the designers and everyone just saying, we're just going to have a romp in the world of TOS. And if the story doesn't make any sense, and if it leaves you feeling like like I did when it was in first run and the second part mm-hmm. ended, feeling like, what did I just watch and why did I watch it? I actually remember talking to my dad right after it aired because he was also a Star Trek fan. And we both asked each other, like, what was that about? And why why did we watch that episode? Because the story just felt like... And what I have said on many shows is that if Enterprise had continued for seven seasons and they had gone back to it, I think I would feel completely different about it because then we would have found out a little bit more what happened from there. Okay. I can see where you're coming from, but I guess I represent uh, a little bit the other people that are like, you, you know do. what? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, this was I'm, just what the heck. I'm in the minority completely, and 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 I don't hate the episode. I mean, I watch it, and and it's and it is fun. I agree, it's a fun episode. Yeah, I feel unfulfilled at the end of it, and but I'm in the minority mm. absolutely because most people think it's a great episode and they love it. So if and with the DS9 episodes on here, I'm not even really going to talk about them much because it's it's hard for me to really put one of them above the other one. Other than I'll say that by the time you get to the Emperor's New Cloak, I feel like maybe they had gone a little bit too far with the Mirror Universe and DS9 at that point. Like, I think Crossover and Shattered Mirror are much more interesting. I think that Shattered Mirror might be my favorite of them. Shattered Mirror or Through the Looking Glass, but... Wait, are are you saying by favorite of them, would you put it above Mirror Mirror? No, I mean of of the DS9 episodes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. No, for the overall results here, if I were putting Mirror Universe episodes in this list here, my first would be Mirror Mirror. Absolutely. By far my favorite. Second, for me, would be Fairest of Them All, the Star Trek Continues Mirror Universe episode. Ah, and then well played. Below that, I would put In a Mirror Darkly. Okay. As, as a Mirror Universe episode for what we think of as the Mirror Universe. And then I would put the DS9 okay. ones below there because they, they do have their own flavor and their own take, which is different from what I think we're really talking about when you say Mirror Universe to fans. Yeah, okay. I can see that. If anyone hasn't seen Fairest of Them All yet, though, I really encourage you to go watch it because it's a really good story. It's well-written. It's well-acted. I mean, Vic just, I think, knocks the ball out of the park as Captain Kirk. And... It, they they went to such painstaking effort to get not only the lighting and the feel, but even the framing, the position of where people are standing and everything accurate so that it really feels... Because it the story picks up right after Mirror Mirror. It's when the Mirror Universe crew beams back to the ISS Enterprise, it's what happens immediately after they arrive back on the ship. So it's it's a really interesting story and... and feels very much like what we would have gotten on TOS, maybe, say, in the fourth season or fifth season if it had continued on. Well, so those are the poll results for Mirror Universe, and we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go over to StarTrek.com. And again, let us know, you know, Twitter, TrekAfilm, Facebook.com slash TrekAfilm, or our contact form, Trek.afilm slash contact. Let us know what you think about Mirror Universe episodes. We would love to hear from you on that as well. And speaking of feedback, the last thing that we have in news here today, John, comes from feedback. And this is from listener Gene Russell. And Gene wrote in after our show, I think it was the Ready Room 149, where we did a TNG Films face-off. And we talked about all four of the TNG films kind of in comparison to one another, how they fit together, which is our favorite and such. And Gene says, I really enjoyed your TNG movie face-off a couple of weeks ago. If you ever get a chance, I would love to hear a pilot episode face-off or a title sequence face-off. Thank you for all the excellent content. I would be very bored without Trek FM. So thanks for that, Gene. And John, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about this for a minute. My first reaction after reading it was, I don't know because I think it's a little bit it's dicier to compare the pilot episodes of different series compared to comparing four Next Generation films with the same cast that were all made, for the most part, roughly two years apart. Nemesis was a little bit further along. 
I don't know mm-hmm. though. How do you feel about pilots? Uh, I can, I definitely have a feeling about the pilot episodes because the funniest thing to me about the pilot episodes is that Voyager bucked the trend so far as I'm concerned of pilot episodes. Okay. Um, I don't really, I, I wasn't alive for when the original series debuted, mm-hmm. so I can't really say, oh, hey, you know how that felt. But Next Generation, I remember the pilot episode and thinking, yeah, okay, I'm going to watch this, but I'm a little standoffish. I'm not sure where this is going to go. And I remember Deep Space Nine having the same reaction. You know, seeing the battle at Wolf 359 and saying, oh, wow, that's great. And then the rest of the episode was kind of like, okay, well, I'll see where this is going to go. And I had the same reaction with Enterprise. But Voyager, I my reaction was, wow, this is going to be fantastic fantastic i can't wait to watch this series Mm -hmm. and that was the one that over time lost me um Mm -hmm. so i feel that of those pilot episodes voyager actually has a very strong pilot episode it does and it was Mm -hmm. my favorite series being deep space nine of the lot of them that was the one that it most surprised me that the series sold me Mm. Uh, if I were to look at all of them because Enterprise when it came along was wait this isn't quite really meshing with what I would expect something set before the original series to happen but okay I'll I'll see if I can go with this Mm -hmm. but Deep Space Nine was really the one where I I wasn't sure how this was going to work and Next Generation I feel you know there were shortcomings but it you know like i could tell it was going to work Mm -hmm. uh but voyager was the one that sold me Mm -hmm. voyager was the one that and and it's the series that i have the hardest time going back to and enjoying yeah and i had the hardest time enjoying in its run yeah i think i'm with you on that in first run when i got to caretaker i felt like wow that's a very polished pilot episode They set the series up really well. And watching Voyager through in first run, I enjoyed it for the most part. It was the only series that my wife watched with me from beginning to end. And Hmm. because we were, we got married, well, DS9 was still running, uh, but she had kind of jumped into DS9 about halfway through maybe or maybe second Mm -hmm. season, third season, but we watched it kind of, it was kind of spotty, but Voyager, we watched every episode together all the way through. As the years have gone by, you know, I've, I've enjoyed Voyager a bit less over the years, but I definitely think Caretaker is a great pilot episode. And when Broken Bow came along, I thought, well, that's a great pilot episode because it was the most polished. It just... Everything about Broken Bow for me. Now, I, I can understand what you say where it doesn't quite mesh. There are some things with, yeah. you know, the Klingon being on Earth and things that it feels a little bit odd on the timeline. Like maybe this probably wouldn't have happened this way. But just in terms of production, I felt like you can tell oh, I see. Yeah, that sure. these guys have, they've been doing this for so many years together, all these guys behind the scenes, and they've got it all down to an art form. And they've built these sets and they've figured out the cameras, everything that maybe wasn't just right on the last ones. They've worked it out on this one and everything felt great. And as overall as the pilots go, I've come to like Emissary best for its story. 
And I like Broken mm. Bow best for its production value. And I would say that Caretaker is a close second behind Broken Bow for production value. And TNG is kind of, I mean, it was made in the late 80s. And <laughs> I, I think sometimes we forget how even when TNG aired, this whole Star Trek canon that we we know so well now didn't really exist. As we'll talk about yeah. in the show today, I'm sure, in the future, there are elements of continuity that they weren't even thinking about when they wrote the original series. And then Encounter at Farpoint is the first television episode after the original series ended. And so you've still kind of got that feel. So I don't I don't hold Encounter at Farpoint to the same standards that I hold Emissary, Caretaker, or Broken Bow, which is why I was saying that it's harder for me to do what Gene suggests and have a face-off between pilot episodes because I don't expect from Encounter at Farpoint, the same things I expect from the later three pilots. And then the original series, I mean, you've got The Cage, the original pilot, which never aired, and we none of us got to see it until many years later. You've got Where No Man Has Gone Before, which was the actual second pilot, but didn't lead off the series. And then you've got was, The Man Trail. It was the fourth episode, right? I, Where No Man... I think it was the fourth. It was the fourth? I believe so. Yeah. And then you've got The Man Trout, which is the first episode that actually aired, but which, of course, was later on down in production. So what do you even consider the pilot there? What are you talking about? Is it yeah. The Cage? Is it Where No Man Has Gone Before? Is it the first thing people saw, The Man Trout? Uh, so I, I really cannot compare the TOS pilots, plural, to the four pilots that came later. And I really can't compare the TNG pilot to the later three on equal footing. The one thing I'll say about the TNG pilot is that it featured an actor, I believe his name was Michael Bell, who did the voice of Prowl mm-hmm. for the Transformers. Oh, okay. And uh, that was always something that I very much enjoyed because uh, seeing him act, I was like, yay, he's a real person. But uh, I still heard, I could still hear Prowl in his voice in the late 80s. Well, you know, in the Abramsverse timeline, he actually voices the GoBots. (laughs) but see that's how i retcon uh, any inconsistencies with enterprise is i say that's abrams abrams verse timeline okay and so it's not actually before the tos that we all know and love it's before the tos that we never saw that's an interesting point and one we'll save for another discussion but i will say and you may (laughs) have seen as well that in the star trek ongoing comics which are in the abrams verse timeline when kirk sees ships from the past the NX-01 is the exact design that we see in the series. So the Starship design change that we see comes somewhere later down the timeline. All right. Yeah. There you go. Well, those are our thoughts on pilots. So thank you, Gene, for your message. And we, we might do this, actually, as a show one day down the road. I'll, I'll think about it. Uh, title sequences, though. Oh, we didn't talk about title sequences, John. Real quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite title sequence? Wow, uh, that's actually very tough. I'm going to say that uh, emotionally, it has to be the Voyager title sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, paradoxically, because it's not my favorite series. Um, but it's very much because uh, when my daughter, my first daughter was born, a couple of months later, I would take half days and watch her in the afternoons. And the way I would get her to go down a nap is she would listen to the Voyager. Like I would have her on, I would hold her on my chest 
lay on the couch, watch the tail end of syndicated Deep Space Nine, the last half of the episode, and then she would always fall asleep to the Voyager title sequence. So emotionally speaking, that is the one that always will rank at the top for me. If I am to rank it logically, quote unquote, I have to give it to uh, Enterprise, actually, because it is not what you expect from a geeky sci-fi show. Mm -hmm. It is a great song, and at the end of the credit sequence, you feel like, yeah, let's go out and do something special with our lives. And that, that to me, makes it a great title sequence. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. I know people are screaming at their their radios or their iPods <laughs> or whatever they're using to, uh, to listen to this right now. For me, so the original series and TNG will, of course, always be classic for me. Voyager, I think, just overall, I would give it to Voyager because a title sequence that fits in with what Star Trek fans expect, that's visually creative, has great music as well, I would give that to Voyager. But creatively, I actually think that Enterprise has the best title sequence because that title sequence, the visuals, first of all, are fantastic. And the music, which I know everyone hates, and again, I don't want to put that song on my iPod and just listen to the song either. But within the context of that title sequence and that show, I think that those visuals and that song together, they completely tell you what that show is about or what the premise of that show is about right there up front, which is something that I suppose Voyager does as well. They're exploring. But Voyager is really about them trying to get home. It's supposed to be, right? Yeah. Not about them just roaming around exploring space. And DS9 is visually, I mean, you're just flying around the station. I like the music for DS9 from the fourth season onward where you have the bass line that doesn't actually fit with the melody because I think it fits the tone of the show really well. Yeah, I I agree. I I will further blow people's minds by saying (laughs) that uh, the the song um, Where My Heart Will Take Me, uh, opening of Enterprise, Uh is not only something that I listen to fairly uh, frequently, but made it to... uh, Recently, I turned... um, uh, the odometer turned recently, so I made a special uh, mixtape on Spotify for myself, and that is the opening song. Oh, wow. And I love that song, and anybody that has a problem with that, come at me, bro. I have no problem. It, I I think it's a great song on its own merits, and I enjoy it top to bottom. Wow. I don't go that far with it, no. but I do. I think it fits the the show very well, and I think it fits the title sequence very well. I'm waiting for the Weird Al cover, Where My Barge Will Take Me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he rules the internet right now, so you may just get what you wish for. Oh, all right. So thanks again, Gene, for your message. As I was saying before the title sequence discussion, we might do a pilot face-off sometime as a special topic on the Ready Room. I'll certainly keep that in mind. And for everyone else, if you have feedback, we actually do a segment on here sometimes called Questions from the Fleet, which is similar to this. But anything you want to know about Star Trek, anything you want us to discuss, just send it in. We'll talk about it here during the news segment on the Ready Room. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. And on that form, there's an option for Questions from the Fleet, and that'll come to me by email. So we'd love to hear from you. 
Well, that's all we have in news today, John. Before we get into the feature where we're going to be joined by Drew Stewart Landrew of Standard Orbit, as well as Jamie Sanchez from Star Trek Phase 2 to talk about the Enterprise incident and the beautiful Romulan commander. We need to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks that you will find anywhere. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, you can choose a book and get that free. And every week we like to recommend a book for you. And I was thinking today, John, about what to recommend. And then I put in the story about the Star Trek.com Mirror Universe poll. That made it really easy. It has to be Diane Duane's Dark Mirror, which gives us the Ooh. TNG Mirror Universe story that we didn't get on screen. That we always wanted. That's right. Have you read this book before? Uh, I have in the very distant past, but I would love to go back and uh, actually listen to it. Because uh, as I understand, um, it's narrated by John Delancey. And if there's somebody that can... Uh, not only tug at the old heartstrings as a TNG fan, but uh, somebody who, who's a very good voice actor. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know that that's a guy to go for. And interesting about John Delancey, I met him once at a small convention, and one thing that he said there about his acting that I found surprising, at least at the time, with actors, is that he said he has a terrible time remembering lines. Really? Yeah. That. Oh wow. That's see, that's surprising to me. Yeah, that's very surprising. Me too, because I never get that from watching him on screen. So he must no. have to work at least at that time. Maybe he overcame it later. I don't know, but work very very hard to bring us what we see on screen, which I think most everyone would agree is quite brilliant. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so this book, if if you've never read this, if you've Maybe you're a newer Star Trek fan. This book's been around for a long time. It's from, I want to say, 1994. The story of it is, a hundred years ago, four crew members of the USS Enterprise crossed the dimensional barrier and found a mirror image of their own universe, populated by nightmare duplicates of their shipmates. So, of course, that's the story of Mirror Mirror. Barely able to escape with their lives, they returned, thankful that the accident which had brought them there could not be duplicated or so they thought. Now, remember, this book was written before the Mirror Universe episodes of Deep Space Nine, where they actually have yep. a device where they can cross over. So, yes. now the scientists of that empire have found a doorway into our universe, which is different than the DS9 way. Their plan is to destroy from within, to replace a Federation starship with one of their own. Their victims are the crew of the USS Enterprise 1701D, who now find themselves engaged in combat against the most savage enemies they have ever encountered. Bum, 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 themselves. <laughs> and so in the cover, you've got this great Picard that we're used to and the mirror <laughs> Picard, which looks more like the Picard from yesterday's Enterprise, right? Yeah. <laughs> he looks very angry. And, um, the, you know, why? I, I don't know. Uh why does he look so angry? I would think that Picard would be one of those guys that uh, wouldn't be quite so emotionally changed uh, between, but um, it it definitely delineates the differences uh, well, I, between the two. I think he, he just looks that way. I think that in the Mirror Universe, instead of being into 
Shakespeare and literature that this Picard is just more into like grunge metal or, (laughs) and so it's just the makeup, you know, he's he's really a great guy, (laughs) but it's just the the way he does his makeup gives him that kind of look that makes you feel like maybe he might be a little bit angry. Okay. Fair enough. Fair point. Fair point. So, but this is a great book. Again, I had this in hardcover. Then I had it on cassette, which I used to play in the car all the time. And I wore the tapes out until they broke. And now I do have the Audible version as well, which is great because I can play it as many times as I want. It never breaks. So you can get that as well absolutely free if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up for the trial. If you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep this book. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. And if you're already getting them from another source, trust me, there is no place better than Audible. And when you do this, you also are helping us keep the ready room coming to you every single week. So go try it out, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Cloaking device is one of the most powerful strategic technologies in Star Trek, coveted by the Federation even in the 24th century. So when the little space birds started tweeting about the Romulans having one, Kirk and Spock had no choice but to stage an elaborate play in order to get their hands on it. It came to be known as the Enterprise Incident, and today we're going to talk about this third season episode. And to help us do that, first time here on The Ready Room is Star Trek Phase 2's official Fezzalopedia, Jamie Sanchez. Jamie, welcome to the Ready Room. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. And of course, with us for the original series is Landrew himself from Standard Orbit, Drew Stewart. Hey, Drew. Jordy, friends. I'm glad you guys could join us today to talk about this particular episode. And you guys may think I'm crazy, but this is an episode that... I tend to forget about with when I think about the original series, even though it's such a pivotal episode. Do you guys have you had the same experience over the years of kind of this one kind of getting lost in the mix for you? I don't forget about it, but I forget that it's actually in the third season because mm. it's just like, oh, yeah, the cool one where, you know, Kirk pretends he's crazy and Spock pretends he's in love. And it's like, you know, Ocean's Eleven, but with the with the Starfleet crew. But then. And then you you look for it and you pull out your Blu-rays and you're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, where is it? Did they not put it on the disc? And then you're like, oh, it's on the on the third season. I get it now. Right. It's in the box that's way thinner than the other two seasons <laughs> for some bizarre reason. For some reason. <laughs> um, for me, it's it's basically the same thing. But when I first saw it, it was on VHS. It's actually one of the first mm-hmm. Star Trek episodes I had from the original series. And I wore it out, and uh, I keep thinking it, well, at least to me, it's like the end of the second season, and it's not, sadly. (laughs) I don't think I had this one. I had a lot of them on VHS. I don't think I had this one, which is maybe one reason why. I don't remember it as well, because the ones I did have, I had like maybe 30 or 35 of them on VHS when they were the one episode per tape back in the late 80s. And those are the ones I remember the best, I guess, because I watched them over and over. 
Yeah. I mean, for me, it, I, 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 uh, likewise couldn't assign it to a season until, uh, like I know of the episode, I know what happens in the episode, but you know, just like Drew said, it's like, wait, Oh, that's season. What? And like, I have to go and look up the guide. It's like, Oh, okay. Third, right, right, right. Third season. But I think that's largely because there, there almost feels like there's still a little momentum at the beginning of the third season. And, uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. so it, it feels like it benefits a little bit from, from that momentum as opposed to some of the later episodes of that season. Mm, good point. Yeah, I don't forget that it's there or the basic storyline. I just find that I forget some of the details in a way that I I don't forget details about some of the other episodes. Well, for those who haven't seen this episode or haven't seen it in a long time, a really quick synopsis. Captain Kirk comes on the bridge. He's acting very strange. And I think, Jamie... You can actually tell us exactly what happens in the opening line, can't you? In in the opening monologue, McCoy is giving one of the very few chief medical officer's logs in the history of the original series. I think there's maybe three of them. And he's basically saying, Captain Kirk's acting strange. I want to run tests. Can't do it because he won't let me. That son of a... (laughs) He would swear on his personal log. Well, that's not even his personal log. That's his official log. Yeah. He would swear on it. Yeah, yeah. I've completed the assignment, Captain. Did the incursion? Yes, Mr. Chekhov, I can breathe. And as usual, your theoretical evaluations do not tally with mine. Return to your duty, and I'll let you know when your work is satisfactory. <laughs> Very good. That, that, wow. I'm I'm pretty darn impressed right so there. So we're going to spend the next 50 minutes listening to Jamie. <laughs> yeah. just right, we're just going to let Jamie reenact the episode and play all the characters. The he does a really, the really, really great Romulan commander. I'm really eager to hear Spock commander. and the commander flirting. <laughs> yes, yeah, he does a great, not, both sides of not, the flirtation, yes. I am not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Kirk is acting really, really strange, and he orders the Enterprise to cross into the neutral zone. Immediately surrounded by Romulan ships, he and well, Spock go over to the Romulan... Well, we'll talk about that later in the... Well, <laughs> Romulan ships? And he goes over... He and Spock go over to the Romulan ship. He is supposedly killed at some point, so he gets to go back to the Enterprise, disguises himself as a Romulan with the magic of surgery, goes back over to steal a cloaking device. Along the way, as we just mentioned, Spock gets to flirt with the Romulan commander, and ultimately they get away. Scotty hooks up a cloaking device to the Enterprise in record time because, guys, he says he doesn't know how long it'll take, and Kirk says you have 15 minutes, and so I started doing math in my head, like, okay, if he has 15 minutes and he multiplies his repair estimates by a factor of four, he has barely, it's less than four minutes to get this thing working. I, actually, yeah. the, first, the first thing I did was I, I paused the episode and I said, that's suspiciously close to the amount of running time left in the episode. There, right. <laughs> Is it, does it become 24 at the end and I didn't notice? <laughs> These events occur in real time. <laughs> wow. All right, so so that's the basic synopsis of this episode. This is um, Spock flirts, Kirk dresses up like a Romulan, and they steal a cloaking device. But there's a lot of important stuff that actually happens in this episode for the larger Star Trek canon. So let's start off. We talked kind of about memories of remembering this episode or not. Let's talk about our initial thoughts and views of the episode. So, Jamie, how do you feel about the Enterprise incident overall? Overall, it's a, a very strong story. I know that DC Fontana 
was writing about a particular military incident. I can't remember what exactly it's the, the uh, it's called the Pueblo incident. I know that that heavily influenced her, and all I remember when I when I was a kid and now I'm still like, yeah, Captain Kirk's acting weird. And then you get to the middle of the episode and you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> so um, for me, it's always been one. It's like in my top 10 of original series episodes. Mm-hmm. And if I had to go through the larger spectrum of Star Trek episodes, I'd probably rate it maybe like in my top 25. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, this brings up right. a point. Can any of you guys remember? And I can't because it's been so long now. Remember watching this for the first time when you didn't know why they're acting so weird at the beginning? Because this is an episode that it's really like you've got one shot at it because after that, it's it's always different for you when you watch it. Yeah. Now, you know, I always had the experience of, you know, I grew up with the Star Trek encyclopedia, so I knew the basic plot of all the episodes, but hadn't really seen them. And my dad tried to shelter me from the the things that he saw as as being lackluster. So I never saw motion picture or or <laughs> he just didn't much want you to start three. wearing pastel jumpsuits with giant belts. He was worried about <laughs> showing off too much stuff. Yeah, he was worried about me seeing too much before I was ready. Okay, and and I appreciate yeah. that. But uh, so so I didn't see much season three stuff growing up. So I can remember. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's when I bought the Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, was when I was okay. All right, here we go, season three, and you know it starts with Spock's brain, and you're like, oh, oh, that's terrible. And I was like, okay, fine, Enterprise incident, whatever. And then I'm like, wait, what's going on? Wait, what? Huh? And like, I was, I was in, it. I was just, it, it got me right. It, it just hit me just right, and I was like, this is great. And then, and then they play the whole double play and the triple cross and the, it is. It just it played perfectly for me, and so I was really impressed with it the first time that I saw it. First time I saw it, I was probably about five or six. Yeah, yeah. And being a kid of the next generation originally, I I had just I think I had just seen Generations, and I had gone through all the feature films, so I know Captain Kirk wasn't going to die, but I was still <laughs> like amazed. I'm like, Captain Kirk can't die, <laughs> so. Uh, that that's what stuck with me and then you know him getting surgically altered that was pretty memorable especially yeah. with you know Scotty coming down yeah I, for for so me with him, that like mm-hmm. my my memory of seeing it for the first time was just seeing Kirk in the makeup you know the the, the Romulan makeup and just being mm-hmm. young enough to look at it and become just fixated on that one aspect of the episode to look at it and say wow that's just so wild like it was it was a way i never expected to see kirk and right. uh you know being young enough to just sort of fixate on that like that's the that's the thing that burned a sense impression yeah. in my brain does anyone know because i'm i'm really curious does anyone know if they brought james Dewan in for that scene without telling him what they were going to do to william shatner with the makeup because the, his <laughs> reaction to it is almost yeah. like they brought him in, he came through the doors, and he had no idea that William Shatner was going to have pointy ears and these eyebrows yeah. and all. It's such a natural, just, la- he's laughing. Like, yeah. And even William Shatner's got this smirk on his face, yeah. trying not to laugh. 
Well, yeah. I'm sure that he knew because he like you know had lines and stuff, but they may not have shown it to him. Right. Like how, not like it was plastic surgery. How well the ears fit or something. You know. <laughs> like, I I think that uh, it was it probably played like. Um, Seinfeld when uh, Kramer first showed up. Yeah, I, I'm sure everybody's seen the blooper reel when Michael Richards first walked in with the uh, makeup from when he uh, had the smoking lounge. And uh-huh. the, the first couple of takes you saw Jerry Seinfeld just completely lose it because <laughs> he knew what was going to happen. But when he saw the makeup, it was like, the, what What am I looking at right now? Uh-huh. So, yeah. <laughs> One more thing that just while I'm thinking of it and we mentioned that, you know, Spock, Spock does the Vulcan death grip right onto Kirk's mm-hmm. face. It's one of the the greatest scenes with his hand on the face and <laughs> Kirk's expression. And I'm wondering, Jamie, you mentioned that you're a child of the next generation. Why don't we see more images where people have photoshopped Kirk's face on <laughs> Guinan's hand where she does the Guinan food thing? Honestly, I don't know. It's perfect. I, I, I did not think of that until you just said it. <laughs> I think it's the angles. But it, I don't know. Maybe. But you know, Photoshop CC has some amazing tools for fixing those angle problems. I think we've given the internet something important to do. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's go ahead and transition into the next section, which is called You Pointy-Eared Bastard. But we're not talking about we're talking about Kirk as a Romulan. So what do you guys think about Kirk as a Romulan roaming around the ship with his makeup on? And what, what do you think about this whole convoluted plan that they've come up with and how Kirk carries out the mission? Well, I, I would say that uh, one, one of the things is, okay, if I'm in first time viewing mode, then fine. Okay, great. You know, thinking back, I'm sure it's sold and everything like that. But looking at it, I can't help but look at it with the eyes now of watching the way Shatner walks. He's walking like somebody that doesn't belong there. So uh-huh. it, he he's walking through the halls and he looks like somebody who's sling. You know, it's like the dun 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 dun. And why why isn't somebody just dropping him in the hall as soon as they see him? Because he's very obviously out of place. And and so it's yeah. And he walks up to everybody and he's like. Right. Uh, there's a spy or something. <laughs> right. there's an and they're like, are you boy. speaking English? Right. Yeah, I, was, I was just thinking, you know, he he would have to be speaking Romulan as well, right? Maybe yeah. that's why he's such a bad voice. He's like, there's a spy. Maybe because he's speaking Romulan. Well, keep in mind, uh, espionage and spy, they have trouble with those two words in Romulan. So maybe that's, mm-hmm. maybe that's why it comes across as stilted <laughs> and contributes to the world's slowest disarmament and fight in the history of anything (laughs) it's like why are you just sitting there like move to the side or something i know he's like move you kick you miss and then (laughs) kick and oh got him oh he fell over yeah it's It's uh, just a strategy it's like a it's like it's like sumo where uh, okay it's over really quickly and and but most of it is just getting in the position and when you make your move it's over i Um. i like that analogy i like that very much all right, that works. That resolves it for me. It's like Romulan sumo. All right. yeah. Jamie, what do you think about this? Um, speaking from a technical standpoint, seeing Shatner in the whole makeup, I, I, I personally, I didn't think it matched up quite 
as well as the other Romulans. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like, yeah, if I were a Romulan, I could tell that he's not one of us. And <laughs> Shatner, I mean Kirk, is still doing the Kirk walk down the hallway with purpose and whatnot, like he belongs. But if you watch any of the other Romulans, they're all they're all kind of like stealthy mm-hmm. when they walk. <laughs> well, also you need the big hair like Sub Commander Tall had. You know, oh, I imagine yeah. like if yeah. they if they all take off their helmets, all their hair poofs up like this. <laughs> probably, probably helmet hair. Yeah, <laughs> they have that makes helmet sense. hair. Yes, big problem. I like that the, the one guard when he was calling for the commander, he picks up one of those ear pieces and he puts it up against his helmet. Like I don't know if you noticed that, yeah. but he's like calling because Kirk fell down. He's just like he puts up to his helmet. Can he hear through that? Apparently, it's conductive. He's got the big ears. It vibrates. He it's can... like those little those little ear pieces that it it uses the bone in your ear for the vibration oh, for the yeah. sound. Oh, yeah. So it must oh, be okay. like, but it's built into the helmet, I guess. Like the Google Glass thing. <laughs> it it is weird to see to see Shatner in the makeup. I wonder how much. Nimoy appreciated that he had to go through. I wonder how many days of filming. And he's like, now you know how it feels, but I do this every day of filming. And uh, I like everybody's reactions to it, uh, especially when he comes back on the bridge. And, uh, you know, everybody just is like, wait, you're alive. Wait, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Get in your ears. What happened? <laughs> Perfect. Ah, I love it. We'll discuss it later. <laughs> <laughs> He's like giving orders and they're all still staring at his ears, like wanting to reach out and like poke themselves on it. Um, that was not a request, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> also, while we're in that scene right there, one of my favorite moments is when Uhura says that the transporter room reports that we have Spock and the Romulan commander. William Shatner's oh, reaction right? to the Romulan commander. Just oh, laugh out right. loud. <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh. Have, have them report to the bridge on the double. Sulu, take us away from the Romulans. Warp back to nine. <laughs> what were you gonna say, John? Oh no, I was just gonna I was just gonna harp on the one where it, uh, it wasn't a request, gentlemen, and it's like Uhura standing behind you. Yeah, you yeah wanna, I caught that too. Wanna, it's yeah. the future. He's being gender neutral. It's like Mister well, yeah. Savick. It's like Mister Savick. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. Yes. All right, see, you guys are resolving a lot for me about this episode right now, and <laughs> just, I'm very grateful for that. That's what we do. Never, we help you appreciate it even more. <laughs> just never call Janeway Mr. She will uh, not stand for that. Or, or, or uh, ma'am. Mr. Or Captain. No, wait. Or ma'am. <laughs> or ma- except in a crunch. I forgot except about that. Except in a crunch, that's right. Right. <laughs> but um, speaking from a makeup perspective, I think... Based on Brandon Stacy being Spock and the amount of makeup he has to go through, it was like you're talking about in phase like, two for those who yep. don't know, right? Mm. Uh, he goes through like maybe three hours to get the right tone on his skin and then the ears, mm. which takes about an hour it, itself. And probably Shatner, I, I know Nimoy when he did Spock, I think it was like four hours in the makeup chair and then like two hours to get out of it. And I think for this episode, based on the amount of scenes that Shatner was in the ears, maybe one or two days, based on the standing sets that had to be redressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And knowing his reputation, it's, Shatner probably complained to high heaven about it the whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I never complain. <laughs> 
What do you guys think about the actual mission itself? Because as I'm watching it, I'm when you get to the point where it's revealed that Kirk and Spock are in this together the whole time, then you start thinking back that even in the beginning of the episode, when they're on the bridge together, they're already performing this act for the crew. So then I start thinking back that McCoy is saying the captain's been acting strange recently, which means they've been setting this up for a while, apparently. It seemed, I'm trying to think of it as a Starfleet plan to infiltrate a Romulan ship to steal a cloaking device, this very elaborate setup. And the way Spock plays his part, I can kind of see it being maybe not so difficult for him because he's generally, you know, as a Vulcan, he can be, he, well, he's not emotional. I'm doing air quotes here because I think Spock does come off as emotional a bit in the original series. But but Kirk has to really be acting, playing this role the whole time. How long can you keep this up? Yeah, it, it does bring up, like, how long has he been acting like, like a an, an irrational person and how can they... Uh, you know, explain that away. Uh, I like, I have to say, I like this plan. I, I imagine that if this was a Next Generation episode, the first half of the episode would be them, you know, just like, we need a captain who's willing to sacrifice himself to keep his crew innocent. Okay, I thought you were going to say the first half of the episode would have been a staff meeting where they were going over the details of the plan. <laughs> exactly. No, that's it, the first it would 10 have been, minutes. It would have been a staff meeting about how we need to have a staff meeting where we find the captains. So then they have a staff meeting with the captains. Right. And yeah. then there's another staff meeting where Picard tells yeah. Riker all about it. So this is a two-parter, basically, where the first first part of the two-part episode is the setup. And then the second is the setup is when they actually execute the plan. All right. Which yeah. TOS never sets anything up. They just throw you right into... And here's what we're doing Which this Which is week. fun, right? Yeah. I mean, you're just you're oh, thrown yeah. right into the story. And you know what? Yeah. I don't know. I, yes. Bravo for that. Because it, it it does grab you, you know, in the beginning with Kirk acting irrationally. Because you're left with a lot of questions. Not just about why he's acting irrationally. But there's, there's the whole thing of the responsibility of the soldier to question uh, orders that aren't sound. Like, and if everybody's noticing that Kirk is acting irrationally and then he suddenly, he basically orders the crew to do something that is a declaration of war with somebody by violating the the treaty, that's pretty huge. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's a huge statement on the crew because none of them, none of them stop and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Like McCoy says, you know, you have no authority. Get out. Okay. The biggest objection besides McCoy is Sulu. Captain, that course will take us directly into the Romulan neutral zone. Yeah, exactly. That's- and it's you know for all of its vaunted um, you know, principles and everything, you would think that Federation uh, officers, crew, whomever, would raise more of a fuss about it. So maybe there's something to be said for the fact that in next generation. And granted, it wouldn't have really been the setting back in the '60s to do this, but in next generation, it would have been a two-part episode because the first part the first episode would have been at least two people opposing Picard and the way he's acting and what he's proposing and, you know, real conflict being set up and this, outlining this is against conflict the Conflict between Starfleet officers? <laughs> yeah. 
you could make the argument for it. In next generation, at I least behind closed doors, Riker would have. Yeah. Riker would have at least challenged each other. On it. A Riker would have challenged him on it, yeah, but but not openly on the bridge. Generally, okay. Or find it. Ready. Worf would have challenged Worf him openly would. on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Riker would have taken him to the ready room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Riker would go to the ready room and challenge him, and pro- and I could see a, a scenario where Picard temporarily relieves him. Uh, Worf maybe has brought, you know, contrary contrary to that, Worf is brought in on the plan because he's the one that would you know be able to physically stop Picard from doing anything. I don't know. I I also see a scenario where Worf objects and we always get the, you stupid Worf, we're not going to do what you say. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Too true. So any other thoughts on the plan? Personally, thinking back to when I was a kid, it works the first time around as a kid because you don't know anything. But then when you actually start analyzing each step in the episode you're like this is an amazing set of coincidences first it's the enterprise that goes into the neutral zone the romulans know who the enterprise is and who's the first officer who happens to be a vulcan and that you they go, don't you blow it up on. you keep going on with that and it's just a, a a tremendous set of coincidences that has to fall into place yeah, at least yeah. for me. But the the Romulans have, are just starting to, you know, we've heard a rumor that Romulans have cloaking devices, even though we know they have cloaking devices from the first time that we saw them. But so they're just like, oh, experimental cloaking devices. So they cross the neutral zone. They don't get blown up immediately, which is the first thing that could go bad. Or the first thing to go bad would be them refusing to go into the neutral zone. And then they get there. They don't get blown up. They happen to be around three ships that have cloaking devices. They happen to be able to distract an officer long enough to play dead. McCoy can convincingly make him look like a Romulan where he can sneak around and steal it. And Scotty can make it work. I mean, there's, there's a lot of steps to this plan that we're not in on until they start happening, which reminds me a lot of oceans 11, which is really great. You know, just kind of like, Oh, you're along for the ride kind of thing. But yeah, once you get into it again, watching it later, you're like, Wait a minute, that wouldn't work. Well, here here's a big question too: is they know what Vulcans eat? You know, the, the commander knows what Vulcans eat. She knows uh, a lot about Vulcan history and a lot about you know their shared heritage and you know Vulcans can or can't lie and and those sorts of things. But she doesn't know that there's no such thing as a Vulcan death grip. And I would think that that would be something that would be fairly well known about Vulcans. Hmm. Sadly, we can't say that it can be retconned from Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's an interesting point, Drew, about, you know, I didn't even really think about it. The fact that we do know that the Romulans have a cloaking device from early on in from the series. From minute one. Yeah, from the very beginning in Balance of Terror. And then here it's like, oh... I've heard they're developing some kind of cloaking device. Let's go get one. Two years later, we should do something about that. And and you know, well, they could sneak across the border and blow up our our star bases. Right. Is what they say, and it's like they did that already. Serious and, continuity issues. And not only that, but it is Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise who saw the cloaked vertebrae <laughs> in Balance of Terror. I'm, so, I'm sorry, we don't remember anything from week to week that we yeah. do or say. Now, I don't know if you guys have read the Romulan, the the Alien Spotlight comics, the Romulan comics, but... 
I have, but they, I forgot about it. They retconned that in there as that the bird of prey that we saw in Balance of Terror was a, a new prototype ship, and that cloak was also a very new prototype technology, and they were testing it when they encountered the Enterprise in that episode. So in that sense, you could say that, well, in this story, the Romulans, now they're really deploying they're a mass producing device, it. you know. Right. Except that it's the Enterprise in both cases, and Kirk see, and Spock should say, well, you know, they've been developing this for a few years now. But see, there there is a line that, that I latched onto rewatching it where you, you could retcon it easily where they where they say this is a new type of cloaking device that has no way for us to track it or something like that. And you can take mm-hmm. I latch onto that line as, okay, this is a they're saying here it's a new version of the cloaking device that we've run across before that we cannot track, whereas we figured out how to track it based on our previous encounter. Okay. Like personally, I think that it, it's writing in the sense that back then there weren't these big mythological, you know, season long story right. arcs where people yeah. stuck with shows. And so they would have had to slow it down and explain it to their hopefully new audience members that they picked up with their latest Igrox Spock campaign. And hmm. they would have, mm-hmm. you know, had to throw the explanation in there. But I latch I mean, onto that they're one. Coming off of, they're coming off of Spock's brain, you know, like, <laughs> like they've got all kinds of new viewers this week. Uh, of course. Everybody loves a brain. I totally agree. This is us looking at it with all of these decades of Star Trek being told in a different style and mm-hmm. and thinking that there should be some continuity there that just wasn't done back then. But it it's still interesting. While we're talking about the ship, let's just go ahead and talk about that aspect of the story real quick because I'm watching this and I'm thinking that when you have to recycle props to save money, the best way to handle that is to just have your characters comment on it right at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have Scotty who says, that's a Klingon ship. And I thought, well, he is the audience <laughs> saying that. But then also Spock has the the little line, intelligence reports, Romulan's now using Klingon design. <laughs> it's just Let's just explain it right here. Yeah. And, and it works perfectly fine in this episode because why not? I mean, these two aliens, maybe they get together. That's fine. What I find interesting about it is that this creative decision to save money because they have no budget in the third season gives birth to all kinds of things later on with the Romulans and the Klingons where they apparently hate each other. I mean, Worf doesn't want to be in the same sector of space with a Romulan, much much less the same room. But yet apparently at some point in the past, the Romulans and the Klingons were sharing ship designs. So the remastered, I thought, took a clever approach to making this work a little bit better by adding an actual Romulan bird of prey from Balance of Terror there in the scene instead of having the 3D7s, but also painting the bird on the bottom of the hull mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. Klingon design as well. Just obviously this is going to be nitpicking, I suppose, but what do you guys think about the whole the fact that the ship looks really familiar. <laughs> uh, for me, I think it actually, I, w- I wouldn't even, in my head canon, wouldn't even say that it's because the Romulans and the Klingons found some re- some sort of common ground or anything like that. I would view it more along lines of two superpowers who are stealing ideas off of each other. 
Mm-hmm. And if they have this new cloaking device that uh, is, you know, near flawless and can't be detected and is different from, you know, previous Romulan cloaking devices, it would make sense for them to hijack schematics uh, of a Klingon ship or mm. a Federation ship and mm. then create a conflict, create some sort of skirmish and then slip their ship in. Granted, uh-huh. painting the bird of prey on her. Underneath the hall isn't very helpful. <laughs> Maybe they shouldn't have done that part. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think that was the poor planning part. That was some bureaucrat that came up with a bad idea. But um, it would make sense, you know, because at first glance, it'd be like, oh, okay, here, it's one of our ships. And then, you know, we're all one big happy fleet, as it were. Uh-huh. And then, <laughs> that's, you know, you ambush them. That's really cool. I, I love that idea. Now, of course, with the bird painted on the bottom, two different things here. From a remastered standpoint, I think it was a great idea to make this work a little bit for the viewer but as you're saying john from the romulan point of view in in universe bad idea to actually paint their own bird on the bottom of the ship right but if you stop and think i mean you look at deep space nine and they're still using katanga classes Mm -hmm. you know which are basically d7s with fancy etching on it well drew i mean like this ship has to be really cheap to build right so it it may be Mm -hmm. like the model kit that everybody gets and it may not even be original Klingon design. It may be like a, you know, a Harry R- mud original well, maybe. <laughs> and he's got, he's got this kit, you know, it's really easy to build these ships. The Klingons just buy them by the truckload and the Romulans, because they spent so much money on, uh, on the cloaking devices, they couldn't, you know, afford to build the nice, cool, sleek things. Mm-hmm. So they just bought a bunch of these model kits and put them together. And- well, maybe it's that like, works. and you guys don't see as much news from internal China like we do here in Japan, but the Chinese still, our designs for everything, trains, they've been, they actually have been sued by companies here for stealing the schematics to what you guys call bullet trains and building trains that look exactly like things <laughs> that, that companies here in Japan spent decades and millions of dollars in research and development for and the chinese just steal the schematics and build them for themselves cars as well things like hondas and toyotas and nissan and things exact same design with a different brand name on them there so it could be like that like there's they're just stealing the designs and and someone is mass producing these klingon d7s and mm-hmm. and selling them to to, to different people maybe the ferengi the fact are that they're called it. d7s and not you know like black ducks you know it, it's <laughs> that's just your giveaway <laughs> that's the giveaway that it's just it's harry mud and he, that was one of his schemes was he designed a ship he made it gave it seven to make it sound more right you know better than a one or whatever originally and, he was going to call it the stella and he thought that was a, yeah. too much of a giveaway so but yeah. but maybe well, even to, to roll it back to the painting the bird of prey maybe um when they're in Romulan space, they have the birds painted on them so that they don't get blown out of the sky for whatever reason. But then they, you know, give a new coat of paint on before they send them out on the secret mission or something like that. That's probably a good Uh, idea. Klingons, they start shooting. No, 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 wait, no. (laughs) We're on your side. On a more more, uh, production side of things, at least for this episode, the reason why we didn't see a Romulan bird of prey is because by the end of the second season... They actually destroyed the model, which is why we mm. have the D7. Okay. Mm. And then really? if you want to ret- retcon, I mean, go further, the bird of prey that we all know and love from the Klingons is a- was actually designed as a Romulan bird of prey mm-hmm. for search for mm-hmm. Spock. 
And then they switched the villains to be the Klingons. Krug was yeah. going to steal it from Romulans, but then they just decided that it would just be a Klingon ship. Why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. But you could also take that to be that it is still a Romulan design. Or, heck, you know, it may be something like the D7. It's, you know, Harry Mudd's latest model. Is this really cool design that, you know, anybody can use it. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. I think that there there was at least a little bit of a scene that was written for Search for Spock that actually explained that right before mm-hmm. the movie. Krug and his Klingon crew actually stole this from the Romulans. Right. See, if we had had Countdown Comics back then, this would have been mm-hmm. explained, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man. All right. Can we can we do anything to? Uh... <laughs> I could sling. We could slingshot around the sun. Create tie-in comics before they were really popular. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'll just use the Guardian Forever. Thank you very much. Oh, whoa. Ooh, some people have access to the Guardian Forever. No, Harlan Ellison will be very mad at you for that. <laughs> Shh, yeah, Shh. we didn't say that. Sorry, don't, Harlan. Don't tell him. <laughs> None of you guys were at Star Trek no, Las Vegas, right? So, sadly. I'm wondering what his panel was like because Star Trek.com said that we cannot reprint much of anything that he said. <laughs> Oh, yeah. ba- ba- I saw a couple people <laughs> tweeting from from there, and yeah, I, it, it sounds exactly like what I would expect. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting to hear mm. for sure. Okay, well, let's talk about what I call Spock and Redacted: A Love Story, <laughs> because one thing that I had forgotten when I said I for, I forget some of the fine details of this episode. I had forgotten that the Romulan commander says, you know, I do have a first name. Would you like to hear it? And then leans in and whispers it to him where we cannot hear the name. What did you guys make of Spock in this situation? Because I watched this twice before the show and I'm really watching Leonard Nimoy's acting to try to see if he's portraying the Spock who maybe is questioning his allegiance to the Federation and his human side and maybe is attracted to this Romulan commander, especially after she slips into something more comfortable, which is also more covering, as we discussed on the other side (laughs) of the room. The other side of the room. And I can't really tell if he's just playing his part straight through or if she is starting to get through to him just a little bit. How do you guys read this? For me, um, watching it two or three times before I came on today, when he first gets on the Romulan ship, he's playing his part. But slowly, you can, at least for me, watching other people act, I, I see that slow, very slow transition for him to actually being wooed okay. by this Romulan. I feel that a little bit, but yeah, it is, it is subtle though, I think. I, I like, see. I, I don't. I don't pick up on that at all. Like through the entire episode, I think that Spock. Like the only thing I really picked up on in the rewatches was that Spock regrets hurting somebody's feelings for the sake of accomplishing his mission, and mm-hmm. that's his human side. Is that he regrets having to hurt someone? Mm-hmm. But in terms of his loyalty, I, I just didn't. Maybe I'm just not picking up on the subtlety, but I didn't pick up on anything from Spock that said, oh, yeah, this is the point where he might have walked away from the mission and become a as soon as he takes out the communicator, 
and calls Kirk, like any doubt is gone, obviously. But I, I never expected him not to do that. I never expected him to have truly, completely betrayed everything. And oh, maybe sure. that's yeah, Maybe that's no, the benefit of this isn't the first time I've watched the episode. Yeah. So it's very hard to go back and remember the position back then uh, of that first watching. But for me, it doesn't, it doesn't come across as anything but wanting to find out, okay, Spock, what game are you playing? What, you know, how are you, uh, you know, what's your goal here? Like, I know that you're not going to leave the Federation. What is right. your goal? What's going on? Well, this goes back to when I asked at the beginning if we can remember the first time we saw it, because they they do a pretty good job of setting up this idea that there's some connection between the Romulans and the Vulcans, you know, historically, and that maybe they would be drawn. I think they present it at this point in Star Trek as the Vulcans and the Romulans being much more similar to each other, and maybe their split wasn't as long ago as it was than what we learn later on in Star Trek. And so in that sense, too, I mean, what the Romulan commander says to Spock, did that ever lead you, Drew, to, to think on first viewing? Again, it's hard because you know what comes later on, but that Spock might actually betray the crew. Well, the thing, when you're, when you're first watching it, yes, there, there is the, the idea that he may be. But once once you know he pulls out the communicator and you find out he's just been distracting her and that's his job and was his job the whole time was just hopefully it's a female and she's hot on you so that you can just distract her for 45 minutes while i pretend to die and and get you know surgery once you get to that point i i i think he yes he does feel bad that he you know strung this lady along cuz like she says, you know, Vulcans can't lie, and we've heard Vulcans can't lie, and stuff like that. So I think that him misleading her, he does feel bad about that. But I don't think for a second that he was actually tempted by her. Mm-hmm. This isn't like the Borg Queen, and like, you know, I can make you human, Pinocchio, and, you know, give you pleasure that you've never experienced. Spock's old hat to all that, you know? Mm-hmm. There's nothing that she can provide that he couldn't get from Starfleet or from relationships, friendships that he, he already has. What would have happened if when Kirk and Spock, when they drew the paper out of the hat to figure out which roles they were going to play in the mission, what if it had been reversed? What would have happened in this episode? <laughs> I'm sure Kirk was disappointed. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, so you're going to provide the distraction and I'm going to dress up as a Romulan. But you already have the pointy ears. Why don't you dress up as the Robin? Yeah, because, and I sleep with the lady. <laughs> because Captain, it is only logical. Hey, Spock's got game, man. Damn it, Spock! You know, like he... I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I Spock's. I don't know. This this would be one of those episodes where I've had a little bit of trouble sometimes um, piecing into the female fan base uh, with Star Trek, where. It was sort of a revelation to me over time that Spock was this pseudo sex symbol for uh, a lot of uh, female Star Trek fans. Who at least who first told you that? Was it Jadzia Dax? Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, it, it just it. This is the episode mm-hmm. where I think you could make the argument 
of where that legend begins because you can see that mm-hmm. Spock clearly has, you know, he has some mojo working for him. And it, it's really, <laughs> you know, because I, I, maybe it's a testament to the actress who played the, uh, the, the Romulan commander because I, you really believe that she fell hard for Spock and she, you know, she was totally into him and totally willing mm-hmm. to go with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was Joanne Linville and, I thought she did a really excellent job in this role. Yeah. Oh, she she's did. incredible. I, I looked her up. I was like, please be in like everything. And I just not noticed you. Mm-hmm. But it's like she's played bit parts in, in soap operas and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, you're attractive and you're a really great actress. And it's just kind of one of those things that you discover like 50 years later. Mm-hmm. And you're like, if she'd had more opportunities, I, I feel like, you know really could have had something yeah you know that that's actually that touches on something where like the supporting cast in star trek episodes especially you know the the original series the actors really uh work hard to to sell it and uh, i think a lot of times it's because they are these sort of journeyman actors and actresses that go Mm -hmm. through and they approach it they know it's their job to sell the audience so there's no vanity really in it for them they're 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 actually performing a craft. I, I really think that people would be remiss not to tip their hat at, you know, at the Romulan commander in here uh, because she, I feel she is one of the key ingredients that makes the episode work in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like she's mm-hmm. really good and she really sells it. She's the one that makes you believe that Spock and Kirk are having this falling out because she convinces you to buy into it if you're the first time viewer that's my take on it i'm actually really disappointed that you know had had there been a fourth season that i definitely think that there should have been like a sequel Mm -hmm. to this or at least a follow-up story with the romulan commander and spock and maybe the enterprise and then we could find out what she escapes she (laughs) yes i wonder if there's any did that though it's very different from uh, what you would expect a soldier to have, apparently. Very apparently, uh, very yeah. sweet yeah. and lyrical. So uh, let your imaginations run wild. It's like Daisy <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not a very Romulan name. Well, no, but, but it's it's Daisy. <laughs> There's an apostrophe after the D. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, then, yeah, then that's exactly a Romulan name. <laughs> That's the name of their big ships that they have in Next Generation, right? The Daisy class? It, uh, that's the right. The Derodex. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That's just a cover. I didn't yeah. have enough syllables there. That, that's what they tell other races they're called because they think that the Daisy class sounds a little bit too weak. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Universal Translator has trouble with it. Apparently, <laughs> right. as, as, it has, as it has trouble with translating espionage and spying. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. If you don't tell... I won't tell. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the early drafts of this episode called for Spock to rain kisses on every square inch above the shoulders of the Romulan commander. Can can you picture that? That's when Shatner threw the script away. (laughs) Shatner's like, those are supposed to be my lines. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I see Shatner going, if he gets that amount of kisses, I get that plus... About 50 more. And I get three more really <laughs> extremely attractive young women. <laughs> yes. He wanted every guard to become a female so that he could seduce them <laughs> and get into the 
get into the uh, the core. <laughs> he would the, become uh, the Barney device. Stenson of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Just points and says, "Ladies," <laughs> and they just fall over, and he walks over him to get to the cloaking. Yeah. Room. <laughs> oh, Captain man. Kirk has only one play: stun. <laughs> ooh, stunning! Uh, I, I am disappointed that the cloaking device was not invisible because I really <laughs> like that in that episode of Deep Space Nine where uh, Quark and Rom steal the the cloaking device. Uh, that's some good mime acting. From from those two, I wanted to see Kirk pretend to hold a big ball thing. Like, you got to help me with this. It's really heavy because it's obviously not. You know, mm-hmm. they're just yeah. like throwing it around. It, it, it would be it, funny. It, it's like Wonder Woman's invisible jet. If, yes. if it's invisible, if its power is invisibility, then it itself must be invisible, right? Yeah, exactly. Speaking, That's how I understand technology. Speaking of the cloaking device, I I I don't think that you guys would have recognized it but it's a combination of three three props yeah i recognize sargon yeah. um nomad and there's one other thing that i can't remember what it is but i was like oh my god that's sargon nomad what is this the second <laughs> season i was afraid that they were going to take it back to the enterprise and it was going to try to sterilize all <laughs> life forms on the enterprise yes i was afraid the 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 glass ball was going to unfrost and there'd be a brain a disembodied brain <laughs> right. inside of it why four hundred quatlus on the Romulans? <laughs> well, I, yeah, it, it's always wonderful to see them uh, w- with the alien technologies and plugging them in. And it's like I like yeah. I fixate now on you know is there like some sort of like equi- like USB port that like every single species uses that makes it mm-hmm. possible to plug these things in? I mean, you would think that Kirk would come back with this thing and hand it to Scotty and be like. This doesn't even use the same type of wiring. What are you? Right. What are you on? The things that you plug into my it's engine. It's from an alien culture. Right. It's not like it uses copper wires. You know, they use some kind of, you know, Felder garb. And you got right. there's some there's some other sort of like conductor in there that just it's doesn't bioorganic. Need... You know, it's like alive somehow. Right. And... right. This gentleman is the Enterprise. We plug anything and everything into her. and if that doesn't work we use scotty yeah (laughs) all right well let's talk about one last topic here before we wrap up and this is just how this episode influences later star trek and some of the storylines that you see uh one thing that strikes me is the way that the romulan commander talks about the vulcans I think really sets up, and the fact that Spock is in the scene as well, really sets up the next generation time period when Spock is actually going to Romulus and they're talking about reunification. And we've already talked Mm. about the possible Klingon-Romulan relations a little bit, but also cloaking technology and how that all plays out down the road. And I even think about episodes like the Pegasus on The Next Generation where Mm. we have stories about federation cloaking technology and of course we know that it's banned by the treaty of algeron so cloaks klingon romulan relations romulan vulcan relations reunification uh the idea of of spock maybe being wooed a little bit as well there's just so many things that play out Hmm. here how do you guys see this connecting with the rest of star trek and and setting up later stories i'd not really thought about this but this is really like the only time we have uh, 
Spock and Romulans interacting closely. I wonder if part of him being convinced that that unification unification is possible is is his interactions with the commander here, and maybe he had interactions with her uh, after that, like mm-hmm. visiting her in Federation prison or whatever. I, mm. I wonder if if they perhaps opened up some kind of dialogue that convinced him that that it was possible. I mean that that's just speculation, but. I mean, we we've obviously got the you know the the you know the Klingons have cloaking devices, so they 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 must have traded something for something or stolen it and come up with their own. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things that that kind of may may have sparked from this, or we may be reading retconning our own uh, history. That's what we do uh, as Star Trek episode. fans, Drew. Yeah. This is true. I forget. Trust me, Star Wars fans do it too. It is your destiny. But I would, I would definitely. Wow, Drew, you'd better write that story before somebody comes out with a novel based on that because (laughs) I think that's a really good read. Sure, it's one of these comics that I have up here. (laughs) But I mean, that's a really good read. There's that alien spotlight, and I think there's a there's a whole series that's. it's the something incident. It's like the Enterprise Incident Two or something. But how uh, that that follows up on this? Well, and if it's out there, please tell me where to find it because honestly, <laughs> that that I hadn't even thought about that angle. That like he would be visiting her in prison and you know when he was on shore leave or whatever, and visiting her, and that is what convinces him over time. That is a great read on it. Like that actually adds a depth to the episode now that I hadn't even considered in rewatching it for this. That's. That's really cool, man. That's better than anything I walked away with. Because the, the real thing I walked away with was, um, you know, the fine tradition in Star Trek of how easy it is to change one's appearance uh, to be an alien species. <laughs> yeah. Like, doop, 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 doop. hey, here I am. You know, like later they they talk about like uh, you know, next generation was they would make like DNA maskings or whatever, and it to change their appearance and stuff like that. And it was like, and eh, that's well, not you know. If you take on-screen Star Trek and the literary universe, we go from the communicator on Enterprise where it's like peel-off decals that they stick on their faces to in the novels, they have personal holographic emitters that make you appear to be another species without you having to have any kind of surgery. So we go from Mm. peel-off stickers to holographic emitters. So that technology definitely advances a lot. I don't know, but then you get to like... uh next generation's first contact where they send Riker down mm-hmm. and he's just got gloves that look like their weird hands <laughs> and they're just like this is just rubber they're like poking his forehead drew that that was the next generation of underoos it comes not only <laughs> with a shirt and underwear but gloves as well okay <laughs> now i'm okay with that <laughs> See, now we're even saving Next Generation episodes talking about it. I love that. I, I love that, that Star Trek fans can come together and we can compare our headcanon and then we can all help each other <laughs> reconcile everything. It's all for the, the greater headcanon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, we need that, that. That should be a new podcast. Yeah. The greater headcanon. Head oh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, fast forwarding or backward, as it were, because you've got TOS and then you've got Enterprise, which happens before TOS. You've got that whole 
three episode arc that I think started with the Forge. Am I right, Chris? Mm-hmm. And you've got the Romulan influence there, mm-hmm. and that just fast forwards to me to me to TOS with the Enterprise incident, mm-hmm. and that's that's part of you know how the commander knows. And Drew, what the comic you were talking about is called the Enterprise Experiment, and it was written by DC Fontana. Aha. Uh-huh. And it does have Commander Tal, and uh, I think it has the the Romulan commander. And I'm not yeah, sure. I forgot if... to read it before we recorded. I don't think I've read um, that one either. We'll have to do that on Literary Tricks. What I think would be interesting to find out, because Pardak, uh, we find, was at the Kinnemer Conference. What if Pardak was on that Romulan ship? And was that guy behind Hall while the Romulans were chasing them? And eventually became an ambassador and then had that relationship with Spock. And and that just pushed that forward into unification. Mm-hmm. I think I think that that is probably the biggest takeaway, at least from the Romulan Vulcan perspective, for me. Very interesting. Well, we have just expanded upon this episode in ways that we never imagined, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Well, let's wrap up. We're coming up on an hour, so let's wrap up with our final thoughts and our ratings. So, Landrew, what are your final thoughts on the episode and your rating? Well, as as always, talking about something on the writer room makes me appreciate it even more. Uh, so I already came in here uh, really appreciating this episode. I, I feel like it's, uh, um, you know, like kind of a, a proto-Oceans, well, uh, was was it still before the original Ocean's Eleven movie? I don't know, but it, it's kind of an Ocean's Eleven. You know, we, we've got a we've got a scheme and we've got a heist. Uh, so it, it's kind of a, a short heist movie with with some intrigue and some betrayal. But uh, after talking about it uh, in the in the greater scope of Star Trek canon, I, I appreciate it even more. So I think I'm going to give it eight Harry Mud model kits out of 10 all right i never knew harry mudd was i I picture him now after this discussion as like a used starship salesman (laughs) oh yeah no no that's what he he started out as i mean i i I know he he i mean it fits right in with all the stuff that that he does but i'm picturing him as just really having this elaborate operation of selling cheap knockoff starships from the klingons and other empires yeah yeah, that, that works. That works perfectly well. <laughs> well. What about you, John? What are your final thoughts and your rating? Uh, you know, honestly, going back and rewatching it, it was um, because season three carries such a stigma with it, uh, at least from my experience uh, with the original series. I think it's one of those pleasant little treasures that you can find in season three where it's better than uh, the overall reputation uh, will give it. Um, you know, because everybody knows about the budget limitations. Everybody knows about the challenge, the specific challenges they faced in season three. And I think that even though the episode isn't perfect and it's a little bit disjointed um, in its execution, that it's well worth watching. Would it be a favorite uh, Star Trek episode? I don't know if it would make, if it would break that barrier, but I can say that it's, it's a good episode and it, would bring uh, you know a pretty 
pretty good um, feel for the episode. Like, if you give a couple of episodes to somebody to give them a taste, this could possibly be in the second wave of episodes to start to get them hooked so that they start to know what to expect mm-hmm. uh, overall. So I will wind up giving this, um, I will give it seven cloaking devices out of ten. Excellent. How about you, Jamie? Um, For me, as I said, it's it's one of my top ten of TOS episodes, so it's kind of up there for me. It's actually the ending for me is probably one of the top two of my favorite comedic endings to TOS with, you know, McCoy calling up saying that he needs Kirk to come down for surgery and Spock coyly saying, Captain, please go. Somehow they do not look aesthetically agreeable on humans. (laughs) So for me, that is one of my favorite moments comedically for TOS and, um, gonna have to give it eight out of ten romulan d7s very good very good yeah for me this episode is like i said up front it's one that of course i know is there and remember the basic story it sort of gets lost in the mix i enjoyed watching it again a couple of times to prepare for this and seeing how it sets up so many things later on as we just talked about at the end here And that's where it's actually an important episode within Star Trek continuity overall, more so than maybe people remember. And it's just seeing Kirk as Romulan is worth worth it for me. Scotty's reaction to it as well. The Vulcan death grip also. And I'm going to give this episode, I'm going to be a little bit similar to you, Jamie, but I'm actually going to give it seven Stella class battle cruisers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, guys. Before we go, Jamie, tell everyone where they can find you, what you have going on. Okay. You guys can actually talk to me through the Star Trek New Voyages Phase 2 Facebook page. You can find me on Facebook as Jamie Sanchez or Fez. And basically on uh, www.startrekphase2, that's number two, dot com. Cool. Great, great. Yeah. And you've been on Continuing Mission before as well when we had you and some of the other guys from Phase 2 on. So check out that show. Also, you can hear Jamie over there. And we'll have you back soon. We have a new episode coming up later this year, right? Yes, we do. All right. But it's very secret at the moment, right? Yeah. It's under cloak. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Andrew, where can people find you? Well, they can find me here on Trek FM on Standard Orbit, uh, our TOS podcast where Mike and I talk about uh, original series and and the things that, that happen in the original series or in the movies. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And this Sunday... You can find Max, Mike, and myself at uh, DragonCon. Okay. Where ah. uh, so there'll be two whole sets of of uh, podcast crews, just consisting of three people. Mike being on both of them, and uh, and commentary track stars, and uh, we're up for a Parsec Award. Uh, each of our podcasts, so we're interested to see if uh, if we win. And, but stop by Dragon Con on Sunday and uh, give us a handshake. Cool. What are the categories there, Drew? So Standard Orbit is up for what category? 
So Standard Orbit has been nominated for Best New Speculative Fiction Podcaster slash Team. And so that's a that's an award for shows that uh that have started since the the last awards ceremony. And uh, Commentary Trek Stars is up for Best Podcast about speculative fiction content creation, Great. which seems tailor made for for them. It so does, I really doesn't hope it? They win yes, that one. it does. Yeah, they were actually up last year as well. So back to back nominations there. So congrats on that. All right, cool. Well, I can't wait to find out what happens then. So you'll have to report to us from DragonCon. Oh, I will. Very cool. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining us today. No problem. Yep. Well, I had a great time, Chris. Thank you very much for having me on board. I appreciate it very much. It's been a great deal of fun talking about the Enterprise incident. Yeah, glad you could join us today. This was, it was a fun one to talk about. I actually had even more fun in the discussion. (laughs) Yeah, and I anticipated all the things that we brought up, and I especially enjoyed where we took the story into the future of Star Trek and some things I had never thought about before. Who who would have thought that Spock was visiting the Romulan commander in prison? Star Trek is the onion that can never stop being peeled, in my opinion. <laughs> That's right. That's a great way of putting it. Well, this was a great discussion, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. We're on the same page. Yes. High five. This is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> we actually did it, we too. Actually you guys to missed it. high five through the camera, so that was <laughs> embarrassing, but whatever. Continuing mission. I feel like this, like that's a really great idea for a stoner movie. So maybe for the next project, I don't know. And the name of the film will be Giant Green Lazy Susan. There you go. Earl Grey. VHS Star Trek interactive oh, board game. I'm so glad you the brought humans this have up. taken over the Enterprise. You now have thirty minutes to stop me. <laughs> the Ready Room. Because I think your compassion for this species is overriding your judgment. And Archer says, my compassion guides my judgment. Mm -hmm. And I really like that line because I felt like that really just kind of sums everything up. The orb. So imagine we didn't have Opaka. Imagine we had Kai Wynn from the very beginning. How do you think the setup of the series would have been? Axanar, the official podcast. So is the full-length Axanar going to be in the same style, the same documentary style as Prelude to Axanar? And the answer is no. No, absolutely not. Axanar itself will be a full-length movie, a feature movie, just like you would, you know, any other Star Trek movie or other movie. To the journey! Cable is definitely more suited toward a niche show like Star Trek is. Compared to broadcast, yes, I think it's... Yeah, absolutely. It's much more probable that we would see it on, say... Uh, AMC than we would on NBC. Commentary Trek Stars. When Star Trek 2009 came out, I made a joke to somebody at some point that J.J. Abrams got all of his lens flares from Close Encounters Surplus. Yeah. But they just didn't use them all and he just bought them at some sort of maybe a garage sale or something. Warp 5. You know pretty well which way the insectoids and the reptilians are Yeah are going to come down on any issue it's it's left up to the indecisive one instead of the the 12 angry men it's the six angry zindi melodic treks 
Now, as I mentioned, he wrote and conducted the scores for two episodes of Star Trek Enterprise in the second season. They are Kanamar and Regeneration. And Regeneration is one of the best episodes of Star Trek Enterprise ever, in my humble opinion. Literary Treks. We're trying to keep it light. We're trying to keep it personable. We're trying to keep it fun. If Vanguard, you know, was all about being the Battlestar Galactica reboot of, of Star Trek, this is more about trying to be the Eureka or the Warehouse 13. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We have new shows for you every single day and you'll find them everywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to and you'll find us there. And also, if you're not subscribed to the Trek of Film Complete Master Feed, be sure to grab that also because it contains every episode of every show that we do, plus some other special audio content that you can only get there. And it's a great way to sample all the other shows that you might not be listening to at the moment. While you're getting your podcasts, be sure to review The Ready Room. That helps other fans find the show as they're searching in iTunes. We've had our reviews promotion running, and that has finished. We get lots of reviews from that, and we thank everyone for contributing there. And please do consider reviewing us anyway, even though the promotion has ended. That really does help us out, and we'll be running another promotion somewhere down the line. Speaking of those reviews, John, we, as I said, we got quite a few in. I wanted to share a few more with everyone today. We have one here from Podcast Connoisseur, who left us five stars and said, Great insight, very entertaining. So I just discovered Trek FM and The Ready Room is the only cast I've listened to so far, and I'm loving it. With so many revolving points of view, I'm always discovering something new about episodes that I've seen over and over again. It's thoughtful and insightful. I love it. Well, John, I think he speaks for us. We learned some new things about an episode that we've seen over and over again today. Uh, yes, we did. And uh, it, wow. I, I, I mean, every time that uh, that I'm here, I learn something new. It, it's like an episode of Fat Albert only for Star Trek. <laughs> I don't think anyone has put it that way before, but I like it. <laughs> we also have a review from Tar Heel-Trek who left us five stars and said, The Flagship. I discovered Trek FM podcasts about six months ago and have been listening religiously ever since. The various shows have quickly become my drive-time entertainment of choice. New episodes of The Ready Room always jump to the top of my queue so that I can get the latest news on productions, collectibles, and other goings-on. This is the place to start. So, well put, I think. I mean, The Ready Room is our oldest podcast other than hyper channel which was a a video show back in the day before it took on its current form and all of our other shows are built upon the ready room and expand upon the ready room so uh, great advice there i think this is a great place to start and i'm really glad that you're enjoying the show and everything that we talk about and we have one more review i want to share today this actually comes from the master feed this is a review of the master feed by Mark Shepard, who left us five stars and said, A cornucopia of Trek. I came upon Trek FM by way of Mission Log, another excellent Star Trek podcast. I hit the mother load when I found this expansive Star Trek-centered network. I'm subscribed to the Master Feed and find all of the shows enjoyable, informative, and entertaining. 
All of the hosts and guests have a vast love and knowledge of the entire Star Trek universe. I deeply enjoy the attention given to all of Star Trek via Trek of Him's various and numerous shows. Please keep up the good work and thank you for what you've brought to me so far. And I, John, I thought that was just a great review because it covers everything that we do here. And also, mm-hmm. I love this review because what I find every single day are people like Mark and, and also even a podcast connoisseur here and Tar Heel Trek who all say, like, I just found out about Trek FM or I just found out about Trek FM three months ago or six months ago. And so people all the time are just discovering us. And it's another reason why we really encourage everyone to leave us reviews because the way iTunes works, those reviews actually help us rise up in the search results. Mm-hmm. And that's how people find the network. Yeah. And, and these are all these are all great reviews. But I, Mark, I think you really uh, hit the nail on the head there. And um, it, it's very true that this is a true cornucopia. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we, you know, I, I know that it's really appreciated and I know that, um, you know, everybody that, that works so hard to bring so much great content to everybody appreciates that review. Absolutely. We, we really, really do. So thank you so much, everyone, for those. And for everyone else, if you would like to leave reviews, of course, you can do that in iTunes and on Stitcher. And if you'd like to send feedback on today's show, we would love to hear from you about the things we talked about, pilot episodes, title sequences, mirror universe episodes, your memories of Arlene Martell, whatever you want to talk about. We'd love to hear from you. There are many ways you can contact us. You can go to our website at trek.fm contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room and that will come to me by email. We're also all over the place in social media. On Twitter, our username is trekfm. Facebook.com slash trekfm. We have a community on G+. We have forums at trek.fm forums. And you can even send me a voicemail. If you look on the show page on our website in the left sidebar, you will see the tool to do that. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. And all you need is the mic on your webcam or your tablet or your smartphone. And you can upload that to me right there from the page. I'd love to get some voicemails from you and we can even play them here on the show. So, John, when you're not seducing Romulan commanders and figuring out how to steal other technologies from enemy starships, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I I pretty much live there, uh, at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. You can also find me on a lovely little podcast called Words with Nerds that I co-host with uh, my friend Craig. And we come at you weekly. You can find us on uh, Podbean and iTunes, easily enough. Excellent. Excellent. And of course, everyone, if you're new to the show here, you can find John on many past episodes of The Ready Room. He's uh, become quite a mainstay here. I I found a way to (laughs) leech on to your your wonderful (laughs) network. Yes. (laughs) Well, we love having you here. Well, I love being here. So thank you. Great. So if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. If you follow me, be sure to say hello. I love to chat on Twitter. Um, I don't keep a close eye on you know my follower count. I'm not one of those people who counts how many followers I have and such. So if you follow me, but you never say anything, I might not know that you're there. So so talk to me about Star Trek or Japan or college football. That's coming up here. Oh, yeah. Whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, I'd love to chat with you there. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jones. Feel free to hit me up there. And I have my website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of different shows. There's Literary Treks, The Orb, Warp 5, Continuing Mission Matter Stream, Hyper Channel, 
and the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar, which I co-host with Alec Peters. So check out all of those shows if you want to hear more of my thoughts on the world of Star Trek. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, and the fact that you can get Diane Duane's Dark Mirror or any other book that you like absolutely free just for trying Audible. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and try it out today. If you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep that book. But when you try Audible, you really are making it possible for us to bring the ready room to you every week. So if you love the show and you're not an Audible customer already, go give them a try. AudibleTrial.com slash TrekaFilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, John, I'm going to let you get on with whatever you need to do today, and I'm going to wander back down to the Romulan commander's quarters, because now <laughs> that she's on the Enterprise, I know there's no one in there, and that chair looked so comfortable. I really just want to take a nap. The chair looked wonderful. It, it really did. It, it, you know, it, it looked, uh, it wasn't plush. It wasn't something you would sink into, but it was something that you could truly <laughs> think while you were sitting in there. Right. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed it. And you can do dramatic swirls in it as well. <laughs> and what's the point of a chair if you can't? I mean, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I guess it's time to uh, stick a sub-commander in it because the ready room is done. And this Sunday, you can find me, Max, and I. No, sorry. How many of you and are this there, Sunday, Drew? <laughs> there are several of me.